Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 130. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair once again. Uh, the guys wanted me to do this for some reason, but uh, I'm happy to. Well, you're the one who put it on the schedule. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I should Well, if we let whoever put it on the schedule be the captain, I'd never get to captain. <laughs> Well, but some things <laughs> but are on the schedule. We know you well enough to know so that's a Robert those, thing. That's correct. Those off to you. Yes, yes, I know. I think yeah. next time you're captain, as a matter of fact. I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, but no, we're going to do. It's a heroes episode this time here. <clears throat> In many respects, it's a part two of what we did last week, because Mark Twain is such a giant in all manners. If we're going to talk about his words so well last week, we got to talk about the man this week, because in many respects. He is as interesting as the words he put down. You know, it struck me in, in kind of researching and prepping for this, we almost do these backwards. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking we that. Probably yeah. We ought to do the heroes before we do the quotes. Yeah. But hey. We're already here, dude. We'll still make you love it. That's correct. Even if we do it in the wrong order. You know, I think if we did the, the man first, or the woman, which we have still yet to do, but we need to... Uh, if we do the man first, we would have too much of a tendency to do some of the quotes first. Uh, in that episode. And there's so probably some truth to that. So yeah. this may work out better. You know, maybe it gives people a little bit of a uh, inspiration to go do some some reading or some some looking up stuff the before we get hook. to. Yeah, the bait on the hook before we reel you in. Yeah. That's the intention yeah. then anyway. Because I mean we don't do too many of these coupled episodes. Right. We don't do that many. Yeah, we do a couple of years. Yeah, maybe yeah. But I mean that's out of twelve years. So. That's right. So yeah, we've done that. We did Hemingway. We've done Twain. Uh, um, we did uh, we, Kirk Lincoln. We did Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Kirk. Oh, Shatner. Shatner, and Kirk. Shatner yeah. with with Kirk quotes. That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, it was our Shatner Palooza month. Yes. Come on. I, I, hey, any opportunity to use that again? Shatner Palooza. I'm going to yes. use that again because yes. he's that. He's yes. that. And cool. as as we said, speaking of of Shatner. Yeah. Uh, He's just back from space. That's exactly He's right. He's actually been in space. That's right. Captain Kirk in space. Come on, guys. It doesn't get any better than this. And he's, Pretty awesome. He's been, he's been speaking a lot about it lately, and he's uh, appropriately moved. Uh, and, I, and I like that. I'm a 90-year-old oldest man in space. Yeah, he's, he's still the captain. Always will be. But we digress. We're talking about Mark Twain right now. Who has uh, also been in space. Well, it, <laughs> that is true. You're exactly right. Hey, that uh, that uh, next generation episode, two part episode, Time Zero, is still pretty daggone good. Yeah. Oh, technically, I think he never left San Francisco. I, I did a little research on that uh, when we were uh, we were talking earlier. That episode takes place in 1893. Uh-huh. That's long after he's famous, and yes. he's he is the right age that they portray him at. They're just basically saying he's kind of there. Right. It's not. It's not the first time he was there. When he was there as a young man, this is when he's achieved his fame. He's written most of his books, and he's kind of doing this. He's just there, uh, and that's fine. It, it was the era of his lecture circuit. It would have been. Yeah, exactly yes. right. Uh, I don't think they went as granular. I haven't done the research yet on when Twain was when when he would have been in there. Uh, a little wing wing shake shake, but that's okay. But he was portrayed so well and captured so well in that episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, and he gets to go to space and calls Worf a uh, werewolf and all sorts of stuff like that. I love, I do love the ending though uh, when Jean Luc Picard speaks to him. He says, "I really wished I could have gotten to know you better." And he says, "Well, you've got my books. I'm pretty much already in there." And that's kind of where we're gonna go. Yeah, <clears throat> is that that reading his works is one thing, but his novels and his, you know. Uh, are a very different thing than his words themselves because of his lecture circuit. He did that early, long before he had written even Tom Sawyer. He'd just written a couple of books, uh, and he discovered that he has he's a humorist. People will pay money to come see him. He just tries it out when he's in San Francisco and he's when he's when he's a young man. He's the first stand up comic. First stand up comic, absolutely. And he packs houses because he's so good at it. Yeah. And eventually, he was, a, he was a journalist, a travel writer, <clears throat> and he'd done things and seen things, and recorded them in his brain, and were, was able to write about them so well. And there's that talent, that craft, that people bought them and said, "Well, let's hear more about this." And he was also a unique observer of humanity mm-hmm. who could speak well about them. Uh, he's often said that uh, he finds humor in everything. 
uh, there's an irony for you if you know his life, which we'll get into in a minute, um, that he said the human condition is funny. Humanity is funny. It's always funny. Isn't it funny to be a human? Uh, he said God created humanity because he was disappointed in the monkey. Yes. That's, that's one of those, those, those <laughs> moments that he realizes, you know, we humans shouldn't be taking ourselves quite so seriously because we're not quite that far removed. This is in a time of evolution when, you know, that was a... Most people didn't get the, the statement of what he was trying to make. He was making that connection with evolution. It was shortly after that. And most people, it went over their heads. They didn't get it. It stands on its own. You, you Absolutely. Yeah, it does. That's the genius of Twain. So, <coughs> quickie bio... I think it's I think it's important to do. Oh with God, the, is it even possible to do it quickly? Well, I think, I think we can do quickly. So he's a young man in Missouri, mm-hmm. born he, in Florida, Missouri, which is a little bitty old town. Yes. But generally from Hannibal, Missouri. it's what he considered his hometown. He moved there a little bit later yes. as a young man. Yes. That's where mom from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You got to point that out. Yeah, that's right. Dad yeah. from Virginia. So. Uh-huh. so, but they're settling in a little river town in Missouri, and. For about two weeks, he's in a Confederate militia unit. Because his buddies joined it, and then they realized, oh, the Yankees are going to come in. Well, we're out of here. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much happened. It was just a kind of a, a men's club more than anything else yeah. to go around and get some, you know. So he really didn't see any combat, but he, his he older work. brother takes him west. Right. His older brother was a campaigner for Abraham Lincoln, a big one in Missouri, which was one of those states that Lincoln really needed to carry, and he did. And he and to thank his brother Orion, or Orion, I think is how they pronounce it, yeah. but it's Orion, uh, he made him secretary to the new territorial governor of Nevada. And he takes his little brother Sammy with him. That's what they call him. Uh, so Sam Clements goes west in 1861, and he's just barely, you know, he's born in 35, so you're talking about he's 26 years yeah. old. And he's he's... Not had a ton of formal schooling. No, sixth grade, he, I think. But he immerses himself in books mm-hmm. um, and then goes west and then discovers he has a talent for reportage. Mm-hmm. He, he works for a newspaper. Yeah. Uh, the we, Virginia City. The, that was actually his second one. Uh, back up just a second. His brother, uh, Orion, before the war, was a printer. Yes. And... Sam Clements, although he said he never saw a dime from his brother like he was promised, he became a typesetter. Yes. So he learns the language and the construction of sentences and words. It's very, very important because the, the that twain wit and that brevity and that bang that he puts into his writings, he's learning that as he's doing typesetting. Uh, that business fails. Right. So that's like his first trade. It's first trade. And that, then he's like a newspaper reporter as another trade. And then, as war ends, he goes back to the Mississippi and ends up, what do you call it, a cub pilot? A cub pilot, that's right. So exactly. he becomes, he, he starts working on the river. Right, as a pilot. He had worked on the river before, before the war. But once the war came, all that business got shut down. You know, because you know, there's a war on. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons he was free to go west. But he had, you know, a lot of that time on the Mississippi... Is he had done that as a boy because he, Hannibal's on the Mississippi, so that's yeah. where so much of Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and the book Life on the Mississippi, all that comes from that experience of him. He's, yeah. he's one of the first because his life is so interesting. He's kind of like Hemingway. He can write stuff out of his own life that is exotic right. and, and well written yeah. enough to sell bazillions of copies. Uh, you know, that's a great point. One of the things that um, strikes me about guys like Twain and Hemingway is the culture in which they were, even though we recognize it as the American culture, yeah. is so radically different from the culture today because the lifestyle part of that culture yes. is so different. It is inconceivable that a young man or a young woman could gallivant around like either of these two did mm-hmm. and get away with it either because of pressures from family or whatever uh, just have the money to do it mm-hmm. you know certainly if they go to college they'll never be able to do it because you know they'll be 90 before they get out of college debt right. uh, you know there's so many obligations put upon yeah, somebody I mean, at a young age yeah it's it's a it's a characteristic of a poor river family that well hey you better get out of here and find some way to make some money yeah, yeah. get out Exactly. Oddly enough, and it's, you know, being poor gives him the freedom yeah. to do... Whereas yeah. today, being poor does not give you any freedom. 
Right, because he's able to, he tries to be a typesetter, fails. Tries to be on a riverboat, fails. Tries, then he goes west, tries to be a reporter, fails. Goes back on the river. And eventually he writes the books that people yeah. want. He's, he's such a unique individual for this time, again, for that reason. But he's traveling. Something that people didn't do a whole lot of at that moment. Um, he's traveling, he's self-educated, he's self-made. Uh, a lot like Lincoln. All right. And we cannot sell short the concept of talent. Ultimately, he's one of those guys that shows that it ain't what you've learned, it's who you are. And that's partially true. But, and the, that well, they build upon the two. But, but the knowledge yeah, I mean, and the experience make you. Yeah, that's he right. Is, but he, he has is, raw talent that yeah. nobody else had. He's a culmination of his experiences, and that serves to hone that talent into something he can into something that comes out of him. Um, so I, that's mostly why I wanted to hit this quickie bio. He's a very unique individual for the time. It's, yeah, and his travels, he travels even more widely later, and he does transfer some of that. But really, his real true genius, fruitful period as a novelist starts, it runs up to around 18, uh, 1876, 1880, when he writes Huckleberry Finn, his masterpiece. Most of his best work is before that. He never again achieves that great level of adulation yeah. and power after that. He has several that he but does, yeah, I mean, and they're he does, good. He continues to write. Uh, his wife is from New England. He ends up moving to New England with her. Right. That right. Becomes he actually writes most of his novels there in Connecticut. That's right, yes. in Hartford, which yes. the house is still there. You can, you know, the Ken Burns... It's a great-looking house. Oh, it's magnificent. Uh, he had it... This is by the time he's become wealthy. It's his sister-in-law's house, originally. Originally, right? uh-huh. And then she doesn't like him smoking in the house. <laughs> yeah. So she sets up, like, a place for him to work. Right. Uh, outside the house, in a, in a separate house. But mm-hmm. he, you know, that's the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Yeah. And, and But that, this becomes a place for him to write. He's heavily influenced. Even though he joined a Confederate unit, he's really very heavily influenced by abolitionists, yeah, by Harry he, Beecher Stowe. He is the ultimate, he is the probably the prototypical anti-racist. He recognizes racism for the evil it is very early yes. on. Very early. Yeah. Long before the war, actually. Uh, and that's why uh, he has his own, you know, the, I'm surprised people don't zero in. Wait a minute, he was he fought as the Confederate? Well, no, not really. No, because he didn't fight. He didn't fight. <laughs> he didn't fight at all. But even so, if, you know, because it's easy to try and want to cancel people over certain things like that. Uh, that was him recognizing that, wait a minute, like Huckleberry Finn does in the, in the book, what I've been taught all this time, socially, is wrong. And it's always been wrong. And I'm able to zero in on that now. And that's kind of Twain, he realizes that, and of course, his brother was a you know, big Lincoln supporter, all that stuff. So it's there's there's all that built in because race was a defining topic for him, as we talked about last episode. That's one of the reasons Huckleberry Finn, because it is so central, is his masterpiece because he he was he would take on anybody, especially as he got older and got famous. Because you know, hey, he's Mark Twain. He's expected to be this uh, sage, wise person. He's a good example of somebody that is not, uh, and this is a little bit of an archaic phrase, and people are going to misinterpret it when I first say it, he was not a respecter of persons. And what is meant by that is not that he didn't have respect for people. Yeah. It means that people, to him, person was a person. Mm-hmm. Your status did not matter. That's You're exactly right. And he so would, he would skewer the poor man and the rich man, the powerful man and the weak man. Oh yeah, he was a, he was famous for going after Teddy Roosevelt to so the point where Roosevelt, actually they were speaking, to, they were both getting an honorary degree and Roosevelt deliberately, being the kind of the dick that he wanted to be occasionally, would not shake his hand because Twain had called him an imperialist. And that was something, because Twain has traveled around the world, he's been to South Africa, he's seen a lot of that stuff because he recognized the Civil War and the change that had come for seeing the black race as someone who is equally human. But he recognized when he travels the world, everybody else isn't living that yet. Right, because originally he, he had supported Spanish-American War. Mm-hmm. He really thought this was a very idealistic thing. We're going to free the Filipinos, we're going to free the Cubans. Uh-huh. And then when that didn't work out... He, he saw it, he saw it as a reflection that. of imperialist 
dogma that he had seen as so heinous yeah. on the part. In fact, he, yeah, King Leopold, which we've talked about as well. Oh, yeah. He, uh, Twain wrote extensively about what the Belgians were trying to do in Africa and make it as what was it you said at Leopold's own private plantation? Yeah, I mean that's it <coughs> this really is post Civil War. Yeah, I mean yeah, Leopold considered this is eighteen eighties and nineties. Congo was his property. Yes, and eventually and the Belgian state had to it. take it over, take it away from him. Yeah, um, I mean he really this hey this is my personal property and everybody that's on it is too. And and he was known for his brutality and Twain saw this and knew oh, this yeah. and spoke it was highly awful. of it. I mean they they chewed up. The Congolese people and spit them out. That's did. right. It was. It was. It, yeah. It's. It's a. It's a terrible thing, and that's one of the reasons that Twain. He's. He's Twain by that point, which goes to that other issue that most people don't realize because they see him as Mark Twain. They don't realize that Sam Clemens was actually a very different person. He was. Uh, he was actually rather shy. He hated going on stage. Mark Twain went on stage. It became a persona. It was almost Jekyll and Hyde. Twain or Clements loved the adulation, but the actual going about doing it was hard for him. He was a family man. That's one of the things that's admirable about him. He he loved his wife Olivia. Uh, they were married for uh, thirty some odd years. Three daughters. He adored his daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of which. Predeceased him, which yeah, is she was devastated by the by Susie in particular, yeah, his eldest she daughter. She died at twenty two or 24, 20, 24 years of age. Meningitis uh, or something. Meningitis like that. while they were abroad. Um, they had um, it, 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 uh, uh, three daughters. This well, let me back up. Twain was a was a wealthy man because through Huckleberry Finn and all of his previous books, he he had built this enormous house. He entertained lavishly. He was Mark Twain at that time. He was well known. Everybody went there, but he had he was awful at business, and he has all this money. He invests very poorly, and he loses over and over. Well, he and was over very again. much a believer in technology and innovation. Correct, but and he he's, was, in, he's investing in these new technologies, but everything's moving so fast. <coughs> It's like being in, you know, investing in AOL in 2001. <laughs> you know, it's working that's, that's part of it. Some of it was because he had what the a great analogy. That is awesome. <laughs> well, he had the opportunity to invest in Bell Telephone and turned it down. And he invests in some in some other stuff. This, this, this well, yeah, but he felt like he knew these things. That he, he didn't think invested. it would last. See, the problem is that he had no business acumen. Really yeah. awful. He's a creative force. He, but he had the money. I mean, unbelievable amounts he, of he money. He lost a ton of money lost investing of money. in these like. Typesetting, typesetting machine is and the big printing one. Printing technologies that didn't work, that got overtaken very rapidly. And yeah, and so he finds himself in enormous debt in the 1890s. I mean, beyond it. And he and uh, the head of Standard Oil becomes his buddy, and he basically solved John D. No, this was this was another this was another his uh, uh, his last name was see if you hadn't asked me to spit it out <laughs> I've tried to do this by memory uh, but no he was but yeah of, he kind of backs him helps he backs him and tries could, to get a lot of the folks off his give, gives yeah, him loans get them off his credits guys into declaring bankruptcy so he can be out from underneath some of these debts but even uh, after he declares bankruptcy he ends up paying off the debts anyway, even though he didn't have to. Right. He's because, no longer under legal obligation to do so. That's right. But, but his, the, his friend uh, that that was, uh, I, I haven't had a chance to check that out yet, but yeah. uh, who had, he paid him back. He didn't need to. Like It was it was done. He, he was good. But he had set off on a world lecture tour. Yes, that's what generated the that, money. To generate the income debts. because he was very much in demand. And he does this with, he takes his family with him. His daughters are in their late 20s. You know, mid twenties. You know, they're, they're early teens, late teens, yes, early twenties. The, the one daughter that survives him even ends up marrying into, I think, a Clara, oh, his middle daughter. Yeah, yes. Clara. Uh, she marries into like the a German family or a Russian family or something. Who's like a performer? She's a concert performer. I that's correct. Yeah, and they they live in. Uh, she and Twain. Yeah, Austria. That's right. She and Twain actually had the rockiest. Relationship because she was very much like he was, yeah, almost the prima donna, very strong-willed, very stubborn. Uh, she's at his, she's literally at his bedside when he dies. She's the only survivor. Uh, his wife Libby predeceases him by about ten years, and he's devastated from that. He never recovers from that. They were, yes, he never really writes anything after after she's gone. But uh, they lost. They they had they actually had a son. He and Libby did that uh, at their first child who dies. 
of typhoid at 19 months, and yes. Twain never gets over that either because he blamed himself for taking the boy out in a carriage, not, not wrapping him up enough. This is his right. own thoughts. This goes back to his, and I'm jumping back a little bit, when he was on the Mississippi, he brought his younger brother Henry down with him uh, to teach him to be a, like a you know a apprentice, I suppose. Uh, they end up going back home. Henry takes the Pennsylvania, which is another steamship back. It blows up. Henry is burned severely, dies in the hospital a few days later, and Twain never forgives himself for that because he basically brought his younger brother and he kills him. And he says that. He says, I killed him. By, by having him run after me, and it's only just that. So he's got this tragedy that goes with him. His, do- his youngest daughter, Jean, has suffered from epilepsy terribly, terribly. After, their, after Susie has died, uh, while they were in Europe, mind you, uh, uh, Libby dies when they get back. Jean, they have to institutionalize her for a while because she gets violent. But after Libby dies, his wife... Jean comes back to live with him. She's going to take care of Papa. This is in his later age. Well, she has an epileptic fit in the bathtub and drowns. Oh. So, and and Twain, you know, as if... So, his life is filled with nothing but tragedy. He never sees any grandchildren because Clara marries a little bit later. She does marry while Twain is alive, but she heads off to Europe immediately after that. They got pictures of him at at the wedding, uh, and she's gone. Uh, yeah, so, she lives in Austria for quite a while. That's right. She comes back went towards the end and stays with him. She's there at his deathbed. But that's it. That's the, Twain's whole family. Well, this, this, yeah, very, very much forms everything he's about. Is this is that nuclear family and travel? To, he's seeing, even as as a young typesetter, he's traveling the rest of the country, uh, New York, Cincinnati, you know, other places. Yeah. Spend some time in San Francisco, Virginia City in Nevada, right, and, uh, and out west with his brother, and then back, and then up and down the Mississippi. So he's he's a well traveled, self educated man that can write about that it, that can write and experiencing these tragedies, and that's all forms of a big chunk of who he is. Yeah, it also destroys him too because the tragedy, other other than his brother and his and his son, they come before. Uh, but he's written Huckleberry Finn is kind of his last big work it's not Puddinghead Wilson comes after that which is an amazing commentary uh, about two twins separated at birth uh, two two children that are switched at birth let me get this right one's black and one's white but the black family the the child is light skinned enough to pass and it's a a great racial commentary on the, the, the the black child is raised with a white family and the white child is raised with the black family. So it shows the institutional racism that's everywhere here and it smacks in the head the concept of this: these black folks are not equal to the white folks. It's that, that, that superiority that's still very much alive in the 1890s. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it smashes that just so well because it's showing folks it's us and our society and the nurture we give that's evil, not the genetic codes of any of these people. And, of course, that's language Twain wouldn't have used, but ultimately that's what you're talking about here. Right. That's if you, want to, if you want one of Twain's later works, that one's a good one. Yeah. It really is. Because and which was the name? Puddinghead Wilson. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, it's, it, it's not given the... It's not as good as Huckleberry Finn. Uh, again, that's his masterpiece. There are some great quotes that come out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because the, when we were looking at the quotes for, for last week's episode, uh, I noticed that but there were quite a few. And see, that's, that's the later Twain. He's, he's done a lot of that. He's not afraid anymore to take this on so overtly. Yeah. Because Huckleberry Finn was subversive, hugely subversive. It was banned immediately uh, in lots of places that you wouldn't think it would be in the North. Mind you, not because of the language. They could care less. It's because of the themes. And Twain himself has gone on record saying, well, they just banned it. I can't remember where it was. It wasn't Boston, but it was a large place. He said, well, there's another 25,000 copies I'm going to sell because they banned it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, that's, uh, and he was right. It's, uh, there's a reason it was, so, it was so well done. Tom Sawyer's a very different book. It's a fun book. It's a boy's book. It's a, it's a life on the Mississippi book. It's, it's yeah. a very different thing. But Huckleberry Finn is serious social commentary. And that's right. the intention. So... We've talked a lot about stuff like that, you know, that, which is all great background, and you guys know I love this word, context. Context. Yes. Indeed. Yeah, so, it's important to establish the context for what he was. Exactly. And 
the context I think for him is extremely important because you know a lot of the things that he's done the traveling uh, the different jobs making money losing it uh, the losing the family members and, and what have you all of these things shape him in such a way that make him a better writer mm-hmm. because you know there's a the old trope is you know write what you know well that's crap because then everybody would write the most boring books ever because most people's lives are boring right. <laughs> uh, now his life was not that's right but it also exposed him to a massive amount of ideas and concepts and different types of people and things that he would never have seen if he had stayed in Hannibal, Missouri. Right. And he's, and he's got the presence of mind and that towering intellect again to notice. He's a great noticer. That's one of the things yeah. that he's been called as a, like the ultimate noticer. Because he sees the foibles and the humor and the hilarity and the inconsistency and the hypocrisy and the evil that men do, and that's yeah, kind of I mean, what, that's kind of one of his things. That's one of his things. If he calls more all people that traveled, you'd see how wrong you are about things. Yes, but yes. that's very well put. You're exactly yeah. right because that's yeah. one of the things he says. And it's a paraphrase of the quote, but that's essentially yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, you know, get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get out a little bit and, and yeah, consummate you know, ass is what he calls them. Those who travel are consummate asses. It says until you've done it, you know, yeah. everybody still is consummate ass. I forget, I forget the quote, but it's a, it's a really but good. It's one. like you know, you've got to get out. You've got to push your boundaries a little bit. Observe other people, and, and you know that is uh, that's kind of where I was going with this is because all of those experiences he puts into the books. Yeah, uh, not directly, obviously. Right. Uh, it's the observations. It's that realization. I think by doing all of that traveling, and even in America, you know, the East in Connecticut is far different than San Francisco in the 1880s. That's right. Yeah. San Francisco in the 1880s is is not even the San Francisco of 1905 or 1906 when the Great Fire and the earthquake happens. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not quite a frontier town, but it's not a metropolis. No, it's yeah. a port. It's a port city, and that's really about uh, it. Yeah, I mean, Nevada and, and these experiences in the West, experiences in the right. East, experiences on the river, experiences in just places like Cincinnati. Just a massive number of different so places. Yeah. It's just very unique and very... Di- it's just unlike so many others. It allowed him to observe the human condition in so many different settings. Because he's and such think, a good observer of these things that yeah. he's experiencing that... I think it allowed him to good. see... That this and really confirms whether you know this went into Huck Finn or not, because uh, like you said, he he had already come to realize a lot of these things, but probably helped sharpen the writing. It, yeah. it didn't see no matter where you go, there you know you know the old, one of the old quotes is no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> well, no matter where you go, there there they are people. Because right. people is people. Mm-hmm. You know, the only difference is. For the most part, what you do with what you have, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, what you yep. do with it is generally the only, at a big level, you know, is the difference between people. We all have similar motivations, similar desires. You know, just you can just because you have more money than somebody else just means you can fulfill some of those desires and then go to the next level, which usually means getting you know more perverse and idiotic about them but unfortunately yes because you know money just magnifies what you already have or are mm-hmm. you know one thing I found remarkable um, he's a bit of a revolutionary yes he is that be that uh, especially when we he becomes we famous we don't think of anybody in that, that era that's, yeah. that's not a killer you know I mean you know, when you start talking revolutionaries, your mind immediately goes to Lenin and Che Guevara. He's not. He's a violent. social revolutionary. Yeah, he's he's not a person who condones violence. Uh, he he's accomplishing more with words than those, others do. Those with were weapons. his those were his weapons. Yes, and he was so good that he could you know inviscerate folks uh, and laugh and make the world laugh while he did it. And call out some of the, you know, some of the things he saw as wrong. Uh, he, that's that's what we don't get with Twain. We think of him as this absolute humorist, and that is true. But he was a he, his social commentary is something that was we've gone 
he started it, folks. He but started it. a great weapon for change. Very much so. That's right. And he knew how to right. do that. He's, he's a, well, he's it's because it's, humor is insidious in its ability to change. Because when you start laughing at something, you become comfortable with it, you accept it. And when you start laughing at these expressions of radical ideas, because you see how it turns something on its head, right? it opens your mind to those ideas far more than just the straight presentation of yeah. the concept. And that's the power in, in a lot of what he wrote. Yeah. Not just the, the books, but, you know, one of the interesting things about him uh, is, talk, you know, because obviously as a newspaper man, he would have a lot of influence. Now, he was back... He was a newspaper man back in the days of, you know, yellow journalism was not a bad thing. Right, yeah. Newspaper yeah. men... Uh, Satire was one of his big vehicles. Yes. That's what got him noticed. Uh, you know, it wasn't just straight reporting the news. There was always... It was more in, explicit that, yeah, we report this with a slant this way because this is what we believe the truth is. Yeah. Whereas today, they try to hide that fact. And... Yes, the media having a slant is not a new thing. It is not. It's just people are more open about it right. at one and time. The new thing is pretending that it's neutral. Right. Which is just as insidious. And, uh, and it's, it's a monstrous pretense. It is. It is very monstrous because it's a, almost you're true. lying saying you know, you're lying about your motivation when you are supposedly presenting the truth. Yeah. I mean, it, it borders on massive delusion. Yes. And I don't care which side you're looking at. Yes. That's right. Uh, they're, they're, they, they all do it. Yeah, it's 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 polarized to the point where you know you have your places that you go and they have their their say with it. Twain didn't, didn't hide any of that. No, no. And but that, that was that was the time. Too. That was the time. That was the time. And the location because he's out denied. west. This is yeah. during the Civil War. A lot of that while the war is going on, yeah. he's out west honing that that craft that he's doing. He's writing for the uh, the, um, the the Virginia City uh, newspaper. He's writing for San Francisco, writing for St. Louis, but it's while he's out west when he's doing this sort of stuff. Right. Well, and you know, the interesting thing about because uh, made me think about uh, when he was a newspaper man, uh, which is you know one of the things that you think about reporters today, uh, newspaper men specifically, although that's less and less of a thing because how many newspaper men are there? Yeah. Is that every newspaper writer? has an unfinished novel on his desk. <laughs> but it's a secret thing, you know, because yeah. one, they don't be ridiculed for it. But, you know, everybody who works in the newspaper wants to be a professional writer. Whereas every professional writer today would look down upon being a newspaper writer as, you know, as, profe- as a profession. As a, not everybody would look down on it, but it's not seen as being a real writer in that same kind of way. Right. I mean, yeah, you're a writer. It's a hack. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the trope. Of, right. of, of you know, and not every real quote unquote writer would say that, but it's just not as held in the highest regard mm-hmm. uh, comparatively. And yet, he comfortably went back and forth between both. Absolutely, uh, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, he, he brought no, himself with him. That was, I think, he a lot did. of it right there. And you know, he he had no, uh, and that's one of the things I think he is interesting. Uh, granted, it, people thought about newspapers differently then than we would now. Yeah. So there was probably little to no shame of being a writer who also worked in a newspaper, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that he could go back and forth between the worlds. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of that is just he was comfortable with who he was himself in the sense that, uh, you know, he had the ability to do these things and not whine about it. And I think, and I'm glad you brought that up because we touched on this slightly, but I really want to make sure we get it right is... Mark Twain was not Samuel Clemens. We think of Mark Twain, we just think of him. We think of the persona. And that's something he adopted at the time. It was just kind of a thing you did. He didn't need to do that. He could have always written under his own name. But a lot of times, because he's doing this under journalism, he's putting in, he's creating this name because they just didn't use their real names. He he wrote under several names. Right, exactly. Right. He had several before that before he decided on Mark Twain. Well, and is, I think when you're doing satire, you don't use your own name anyway. That's correct. So it's, that's it's, where that Because that usually is meant to, you know, wink, wink, shake, shake, and all this sort of thing's going on. That's where he ends up taking the name Mark Twain, which was, of course, a famously from uh, uh, the Clearwaters. It's a, it's a, it was a... It's a navigation term. It's a navigational term. term. That's, that's right. The river's 12 feet deep. That's exactly river. it. And that's, and that's what... So safe once he, st- once he established boat. that name, he stuck with it, but he, it actually created almost a schizophrenia in him that Sam Clemens was this family man, this, uh, 
business investor, this guy who hosts people at this enormous event that he has at his home all the time. He's the one that plays Santa Claus with his kids, then runs back upstairs, puts on his nightshirt, comes back down and waking up, well, what's just happened? Like, you know, who was that that was just here? Uh, he's famous for doing that when they were in Connecticut when, the, when his girls were younger. Um, Mark Twain was an ass. His daughter Susie even writes this. She says, I don't like Mark Twain. I don't like him at all. Uh, he's mean. Uh, he he's he's only he's selfish. He only thinks about himself. And yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point because when you think about how Mark Twain, the guy in the white suit, the yep. white hair, and the cigar, which became an image that he deliberately cultivated. Yes, yeah, the white suit, especially later. He is a jovial, wisecracking old guy. Mm-hmm. But think about having to live with that guy. And yeah, that's, that's what Susie was saying. And, and she was his favorite child. They were really really tight. So think about living, having to live with that guy. Thinking, think about what it would be like to have to keep that persona up. Uh-huh. So of course he was an ass. That's right. Because you cannot keep that up one hundred percent of the time without becoming one. Yeah. And he's he's also so famous that everybody's after him all the time. Right. So he, he always had to be on character. And it got to the point where he loved it so that he would run around. He went to uh, he went overseas, uh, and I think it was London. And he went out in his bathrobe, and then and the press. This is later in life. The press went nuts for it. It was like a thing. It's like you know, here he is, Mark Twain, and he's going. He did that deliberately because he wants the attention. That's Mark Twain that wants that attention. Samuel Clemens was very different, and we 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 do a disservice to think of them as synonymous. Twain would was you, a persona. I would be willing to bet that if you took all those quotes we were looking at on on Goodreads for last week's episode, yeah. Uh, which I think we said there were something like ninety pages. Yeah, and there were about twenty or so on every on every page, and that certainly was not an exhaustive. By no list. means, that's just the. You know. uh, but if you look at them, I, I'd be willing to bet if you put them on a timeline, mm-hmm. uh, you would see the most acerbic ones yes. later. That's right, uh-huh. uh, and that is an expression. So his writing was affected. By having to adopt this persona, uh, and especially guy, when he goes on tour, I think it yeah, probably had to take off even worse because that's when he would be on. mostly in. Yeah, it had to be really on. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And tragedy informs that, and, and it yes. really made Sam Clements was a true sad, tragic figure that endured enormous, awful things. Mark Twain was this superior intellect that everybody wanted to be with. And sooner or later, I think, just having watched the Ken Burns documentary literally just days ago, Mark Twain eventually consumed Sam Clemens, where Clemens was hardly to be found at the end. Once his family was gone, once Livy, his wife, had gone especially, but when really it was when Susie died, Mark Twain... Uh, Mr. Was, Mr. Hyde took over, and there, there was, was no, no reason for him to be Sam. Anymore. There's no more reason to right. be Sam anymore. No, he had it, it had he, he, had, well just he be believed his own press, and that's when he started wearing exclusively the white suits. You know, he smoked forty cigars a day. Oh my God, forty every single day. And when he got his health got, I bad have a hard time imagining people who smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, mm-hmm. which is twenty, much less the three that my parents routinely did. But. Ooh. You know, think about how long it takes to go through a cigar. And he's famously put down, he says, I will never smoke more than one cigar at a time. He talked about that. So he's finishing these things. For, I mean, when he has his a, a little a health issue a little bit later, later in life, this is, uh, I think this is after Libby has passed, he goes from 40 cigars a day to four. And he talks about this. It's like, wow. You know, that's that's how you know what he's doing. Because he just, he's just churning them out. And ironically, doesn't die of cancer. I, how that happens, we still can't imagine because, you know, he's 75. He is born during the year of Halley's Comet, and he dies during the year of Halley's Comet. Yeah, born two weeks after the closest approach, and died, I think, a week after the closest approach. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's really... Yeah. And he knew that. He kind of... He was already getting to the point. He says, well, yeah. I, I expect that. I want yeah. that. Came in with Halley's Comet, and I'll go out with it. And sure enough, he did. So, speaking of going out, uh, let's go out of our way to talk about one of our favorite subjects. Bourbon. Yes, it's time for bourbon break. Something bourbon that break. Uh, Sam Clemens was then, a great we'll, fan yeah, of. We'll, we'll do a bourbon break, and then we'll wrap this episode up, because I'm going to push you on something here, Francis. Oh, excellent. I so, like it when Martin gets out to push. That's right. 
Like your car that time? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, we have. No, I had to steer. You all had to push. That's true. Yes. That's because you, you what? You weighed sixty pounds wet, <laughs> just something about like that. that. Yeah. So you you didn't have no you didn't have any uh, interior body weight. Come on. Yeah, but anyway, we digress. You wasn't going to do us any good for me to push. The wind might blow too hard and you go away. Uh, Chevy Caprice Classic. So I thought it was a tank. Not yeah. Not to mention the lake car, which is a same story, different vehicle. Yes. yes. But go, anyway, go back to the interview with Marcus Aurelius if you want to see uh, or hear about these autorites. So anyway, I, I uh, poured another uh, neat dose of uh, Four Roses here. You're doing the neat thing. I'm impressed. Uh, uh, yeah. No, 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 I'm going to work with you on the neat here. Well, yeah, I'm working I, with I you on the Four Roses. Does, same thing. I think this does need a touch of ice, though. Really, but it's it's good. It's very mellow. You very really, smooth. you really have to try a bourbon with both. You, because I you think know, you're in, right. In last week's episode, you had said, and I didn't call you out on it then, but since Martin's going to push you on something, I'll push you on this. Okay, go right ahead. But it was a statement that reminded me of the ham uh, of the steak fiasco. Oh, oh yes, you, you you have to go online, folks, to see this. Steaksandhonors.com, the great steak debate. That's correct, yes. and somehow I stepped on it very quickly by making I thought an offhand comment about the way it was, I, but I decided to that make a about it because we eat, we eat <laughs> steak in each other's presence. How many millions of times over the years? You know, and we've I, not eaten steak together since that. <laughs> this is true. We have not. We have to fix that. But I comment on the fact that Robert likes his steak well done. And I don't, and I just kind of, you know, thumb my nose that you know, no real person would ever want it that way. And Robert jumped to the challenge immediately and <laughs> with both feet, and uh, uh, I had to apologize online. It was actually some of my better work. It so was. It was quite good. It actually, if you, and I don't know if you all see this, but when we go to our website, when you look up to the things that are, the posts that are trending, it's always my apology. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but uh, it's always my apology for uh, for that. Uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Yes. Uh, and, and Martin wisely held his tongue through most of it and then got a zinger in at the end, basically uh, saying, no, he was right. <laughs> I mean, I like mine the same way that Francis does. Yeah. And, so. you know, yeah, we don't want to get into that because that could be an entire episode unto itself, debating how steak should be prepared. And uh, But you had said that uh, basically that all bourbon should be neat. It should always be neat, and that's a, a statement I, I cannot agree with because I think you, I think you have to explore. You have what, to explore. What brings out the Since flavor. we discovered the difference uh, with that with mm-hmm. that black, uh, I, I am committed. And to, I, I'm, I'm repentant of that too because yeah. I'm discovering. I think you should always have it neat and with ice. I think you should not exclude either. If not exactly. ice, they are at least a, a couple drops of water. Something like that. There's actually three modes here because yeah. there's the chilled, which we can achieve with the soapstone or the metal cubes. Right. Uh, there's neat, but then there's that... Uh, well, actually, you could go fork. There's that uh, few drops of water to, to help mm-hmm. uh, bring that out. Yeah. And then there's the chilled and the water, which you accomplish with ice. And, and, right. And stress that good water really does change the flavor of a good bourbon and and it brings different things out uh-huh. sometimes it improves sometimes it's not an improvement and define good water you're talking about not tap you're talking about filtered be, be tap water you're not talking distilled here we're not no, talking no, no no we're no, talking about but, or, but i mean bottled water if you want to add a splash of that I'm just like, don't get, if your town has horrible tap water, don't put that in your If you, li- listeners, if you're living in Flint, Michigan, get the bottled. Yes. But well, they do that anyways. They're already there, so we don't have to worry about that. The Ville, uh, despite it being river water, uh, actually has good water. Yeah, it, it is. We the tap is. Tap water is quite good. It's and nationally known for it. Very much so. We have a fridge with it, a yeah. uh, water filter, water. Which we do, so all of our ice here is filtered. And I just changed the filter a few months ago, oh. which, uh, as I told you the last time we were together, yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys ever got your, your filter yet, but change it. Because I have. Oh, yeah. her, her Majesty, because you you said that in the presence of my wife. And she it was ordered that day, and I replaced it two days it, later. So what did it look like when you opened it up? Um, it was, when you compared the two, it was much darker. Yes. It was not, you know, black, but it was, if you compared it to yes. the other, yes, those, it was much darker. Those in-fridge filters 
really they are, do take a lot of gunk out of water. And, and it, it was does it was an easy thing. I didn't oh, realize yeah. it. Two uh, minutes. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had a hard time getting the, the the cover off. Yes, the first time, and then once you figure out what the trick is, it's no big deal. Well, that's well, it was actually pretty tight because we when we bought the house, it I don't know that it had ever been changed. But I don't know ours had. Either. I had I had a I had a wrench that my son had bought to change an oil filter that never got used. He was kind of bummed. He paid like seven, you know ten bucks for it. I, it, it was perfect fit. And I told him, I texted him, I said, you know that thing that you were bummed that you bought that we didn't <laughs> use? It's a great water filter changer because it whoosh, takes it right off. So it worked Yeah, it's great. a little hard to get your hand in there because uh, it's, it, it, yeah, where it That's sits. right. This little booger But it great. does make a huge difference. Your water comes out a lot faster out here. It does. It does. It wasn't bad before, I was pleased to say. So I yeah. knew that it was not a huge, huge change. But yes, change. it does make a huge difference. Uh, yeah. So The most time-consuming part of the whole switch is you got to run a bunch of water through them first. Yes. They say pour out a bunch of, like a gallon or two gallon or something. Thing you yep. got to run through them first to get them kind of weeded, preloaded, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it makes a difference. It really it's does. Surprising, and water out of the door of your fridge is uh, is good stuff when it's properly filtered, and yeah. uh, that's what you can add to your bourbon. Yep. So Robert, what did you pour? Uh, I, I'm still nursing some uh, some Knob Creek. I'm really enjoying the uh, uh, this nine year uh, with that uh, Kentucky Kiss. That it gives you, yep. uh, you know, I've right got the right, there, kind uh, of right the there in the tongue. Yeah, uh, yeah, really enjoying the, the the flavors. The more that I'm paying attention to it, you know, uh, I wish you know because it's it happened so far apart in time. Uh, you know, it's only six weeks, but you know, the pre soft drink versus the post, uh, it's hard to do a direct comparison with the bourbons, but yeah. uh, it's it really is. Um, it, it does seem like there is a better exploration of the flavors. I don't know if I can still pull out all those flavors yet, but I am enjoying it, I think, yeah. more than I was before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really... Um, you guys are so close to converting me from... It, it, when you cut out those super sweet drinks, you just you open up to a whole world of yeah. other flavors. My wife will be very jealous because she says, you know, basically she's been trying to convince me to do this for years, and I have... As so often as stubborn people do, saying no, 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 even though as always she's right. If if you're listening, I love you, honey. Oh, although she's not, she doesn't listen to us. Nevertheless, if me buds here, me mates, me blokes, if you they tells me to do this, we know they have my best interest in heart. Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the critical tipping point has been reached, and let's go ahead and. Bourbon Take the will cause a great many will cause people to do a great many things. That's right. Well, I mean, intention <laughs> is to. I've always looked for what are you going to replace it with. The idea of drinking water itself just doesn't seem to work for me. That's what my wife keeps saying: just drink water. Oh, I don't. You'd be surprised that once you get rid of sweet drinks and you get that water out of the door of the fridge, you're like, man, this tastes good. Well, yeah. at, at we, I mean, we think your mind is telling you it's plain. It's 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 so plain. But it tastes it's not good. Well, at work, which is where I mean, also you know, we spend some significant amount of time. We've got a Culligan water thing right, right there at the at the you know, just feet from my office. That's right. It's, it's just at the end of that. Uh, not quite a hallway, but yeah, it's right, right there at the end exactly. of the exactly. And we've got a, a beautiful, wonderful ice machine in the other building that is you know, it's got it's it's really good. Uh, it, it tastes so much better even than what I do at home. I'm thinking maybe I just need to do that. But I think the, I think the but, tea, but, the unsweetened tea, might be. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm not doing it to pull away from caffeine because I, I'm like Robert. I I gotta have some go go juice. Well, I don't drink. <laughs> I'm doing the coffee mainly to avoid the headaches. To avoid the headaches. Yeah, I've loved coffee. But also, my I wife like, has taught me that. It's it's been hard for me to find flavors that I like because I love the smell, but. That's why I use that that artificial non-sugared caramel sweet. Try some different styles of I have, roast. I have uh, tried light roast the, versus dark roast. Try dark roast. roast. I don't like. Uh, I have tried dark roast. Uh, but I like the medium roast. Uh, yeah. The Arabica uh, medium roast from various kinds. Uh, we have a Keurig. That's what I use on it. Yeah, I know. But you know what? They actually are uh, recyclable. Uh, you just have to uh, do it. And I know it's not the. Super great coffee. The real coffee people don't. Yeah, they look. But you know what? But hey, I'm the only one who drinks it in the house, so I'm not going to make a giant mess for somebody. Exactly. Making a whole pot. Well, I'm just going to do the. And I only want it. You know, like I want one cup. It's done. I'm off to work. Exactly. She she loves coffee. She has in the morning. Uh, 
I, she's taught me how to do it, which I resisted a long time because I knew once she teaches me how, I'm going to be making most of the coffee. And, of course, the prophecy did come true. <laughs> but I've discovered it's not onerous. I like it. And I've got some of the uh, uh, it's Italian cream, sweet cream creamer. You can get sugar-free version. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have, I have sugar with it now. Uh, I, I forget. It's, it's one of the major brands. And throw that in there. And it's great. I like it. Uh, it's, it's got enough sweetness to it. Get the sugar-free. I should be okay with that. But I only have that in the morning or one in the evening. I've discovered I can do that. Well, was that well, you know, great? people I say... Many. Yeah, I can't sleep if I have well, it. I've never had a problem with that. But, you know, I have. I used to drink so many Cokes all day long that that whole keeping me up thing was never a big deal. I never really had an oh, issue with that. If I had a soft drink with dinner now, I'd be up till 2 in the morning. Yeah, see, well, that caffeine just does not affect me that way. Yeah, because I pull. Oh, I have noticed it's, it's a cumulative. After thing. lunch, I get very drowsy sometimes. Yes, I get the caffeine crash. I absolutely will get that. Well, can, well, don't you have coffee at work where you can get yourself a cup of coffee at I lunch? Probably could scare up some. It's just something but to I, think about. But I'm trying not to because I'm trying to. But if coffee it's coffee, you'll be fine. No, well, I won't. That's the thing. If I, I'm trying to get where. Coffee early, you know, and try to wean myself off of it by dinner, and try to get to where okay water at dinner. I see that, but what if you had coffee at one o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock at the well, last? Well, I'm usually still. I've had tea at lunch, so I'm usually okay. Okay, so you've got the caffeine then. You if yeah. you, you have unsweet tea. Right. Now, see, I have. We no have gone far afield here. We have. Boys. We That's have. That's right. We need yes. to but bring the, us the, back in. The point being that. If you move away from super sugary drinks, yeah, then it's going to allow you to open up your palate to which lots is, of other things. Which is the theory that we've laid included, out here. Yes, right. But also wines, and I also think different types of coffee as well. Because yeah. I, I, I every once in a while will try a different source of the beans. You know, Sumatran or. Hawaiian or South American or Central American, all these different, and I do find different flavors in them. Yeah, well, so. I, I actually tried some called uh, called Highland Grog uh, that I found. I thought of you when I did that. Uh, it was uh, actually it was very different, and it was actually pretty good. We're actually starting to experiment with different coffees. Something okay, yeah. maybe See, I that can helps because you're in a household that has more than one person that will drink coffee. It's just her majesty and I, but she but loves that's coffee. Still, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah, because, you know... It, it's cure eggs or nothing. Exactly, because it really is a waste to make a pot. Because it's, it's very difficult to make. I mean, unless you really go high end and you get the single cup grinder and you grind your own exact amount every single cup. Oh, yeah. Who has time for that? Yeah, we'll, yeah, again, we'll, we'll make, eight, we'll make an eight cup. I'll have... I'll have one, maybe two. She'll have one, maybe two, and we're good. See, four cups is is probably the minimum to make a a, a pot for most things. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we make eight, and it's we will have a little bit oh, left wow. over. But uh, well, you guys it, probably pour a pretty good sized cup. Then. Well, that's yeah. correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I told you guys my coffee mug at home is the Abraham Lincoln signed version that we picked up on our trip to Springfield. Yeah. It's kind of my thing. Yeah, yeah the signature is a print, people. We didn't actually go and get Abe to sign it ourselves. No, no, no. He's buried in concrete quite a few uh, way uh, feet under. We're not that old. No, we're not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've tried Turkish coffee, and I thought it was wonderful. It, they're famous so for that. So flavorful. It's just, Turkish oh, coffee. Is, the is, that the, is that like the espresso where it's, yeah, it's, it's, be a, it's small, a tiny cup? Yeah, yeah. you're going to have a little small dose. Cuban coffee is very similar. It's a similar yeah. type of thing. It's more That like I've not had enough bravery to try because I know it'll it'll take paint off the walls. But it's really, but, uh, someday I will work up the courage to have some good, strong I had a I had a coffee. friend once upon a time who was from Cuba, and he says, I'm going to teach you how to like coffee properly, and he gave it to me, <laughs> yes. and uh, it was, whoa, yes, uh, loving it, and of course, you crash a little bit later, but I see, okay, I guess if you're drinking it all the time, it's uh, it was good, it was good, I'll, yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give him credit, he knew what he was doing. But open yeah. up your palate to lots of things, because again, I, I like good red wine, I'm not a, any kind of expert on it, uh, stuff that people try, I have no idea. But I like different types of red wines. And Twain was quite the, the quite the sensualist when it comes yeah. to Yes, I know things. many of his quotes uh, were about food and, and what have you. Yes, food, enjoy, wine, bourbon, smoke, uh, cigars. That was probably his, if it were acceptable sex. 
Uh, well, I mean, he was he was faithful to his wife. There's no, right. He's but one he of those talk about the, in the quote. So he, oh yeah, he, I actually say he wouldn't have talked about that, but his wife would have bought that because she was she was New England wealth, and yeah, that oh, was yeah. she was very about that type. Right. She, yeah. Surprisingly, she was a, a wonderful lady. About, about sex. Well, that's great. Yeah. You don't talk about it because yeah. this is the Victorian era too. Yes. You just don't talk about it. But Twain was amazing when it comes to talking about just about anything that you might want. Uh, to talk about and like I said as he got older he didn't care he's Mark Twain you know he's going to get quoted anyway so you might as well might as well go with it so just to wrap up I always like to do this and and I think we've covered some of this ground you you wanted to you wanted to I want uh, you to personalize this for you Francis oh well well, you, I hate to go back to what we do all the time but we do because this man is a master craftsman there's no yes. question. Nobody yeah. can argue yeah, that point. Right. I mean, he is he, he is, is a central figure of American literature. That's right. Well, world. I mean, he. You know, come on. He's as good as anything that's ever yeah. been produced in the human in the history of humanity. Uh, yes, we're a little Amerocentric here, but that's okay. Uh, and I love. I, I prefer Hemingway. I do because I think he's more modern. He's more like me uh, in the way he writes in that small clipped style. Mark Twain still writes in the, as a nineteenth-century person does. He's very elaborate in his in his prose. You had a little bit more Mark Twain in you than you think you. Oh, did. I know. We've <laughs> talked about that. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's correct. You might I, might I may belabor the point more than you might imagine, but I'm, I'm striving to be Hemingway. I'm striving to be as minimalist well, you know, as Hemingway. Uh, and I, I I think I got this from King, but he probably got it from somebody like Hemingway. You know, where. If a, if a pair has if a uh, how's it go? Don't use a page when a paragraph will do. Don't yeah. use a paragraph where a sentence will do. Yeah. Don't use a sentence where a phrase will do. Don't use a phrase where a word will do. And don't use a word where a single letter would do. That's right. Yeah. It's it's it is. It's, I, 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 don't I, say anything if that's even better. That's right. right. That's my. That's what I strive for. That's and, but you know I'm a newbie at this. Uh, I'm by no means. Well, anyway. you're speaking. You write in many ways. Like your speaking style, and who who doesn't at least to begin? Yes, exactly. And your speaking style is verbose. more verbose yes. than yeah. our speaking style is much more formal and verbose than the average person. Yes, agreed. And because we, we are towering intellects ourselves. Well, we like to try to make ourselves understood, so we try to be complete. Yes, because there's yes, no, actually there if we were thoughts. any better at being understood, it would be shorter. Uh, that's, that's one, right. of, one of Twain's yes. best quotes is, I didn't have the time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead. Yeah, that's... That, and that's very true. Yeah. It's much easier to write long than short. Well, that's short. one of the reasons that Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is so magnificent. Edward Everett's, you know, two hours beforehand is completely forgotten, except to juxtapose what Lincoln said, right. you know, in 47 words. So it was, you know, pretty amazing that uh, your brevity is indeed the soul of wit to steal from William Shakespeare. But that his craft to answer your craft. question, it is his craft, yeah. his it's ability to put voice into something. Hal Holbrook, uh, who has played Twain for, you know, he is phenomenal. Phenomenal as he's done. He's been Twain. He's toured as Twain. He they they interviewed him several times in the Ken Burns documentary, and he says, you know, whenever I'm feeling bad or whatever, thinking right, I'll pick up Twain anywhere, and. Once I start a page, I have to turn to the next page, and I always feel better because it's written so. Yeah. Well. Who does a good Mark Twain? Woody Harrelson. Really? Yes. I forget what I saw him do Twain in, but he was really good. Uh, my respect for Woody Harrelson has gone up. Amazing. I thought he was a bit of a boob at first. I thought he was Woody from Cheers. Right. I'm thinking, and, and that's my fault for not realizing he was far more of a great actor. He than really I realized. Good, he's really a skilled he, actor. He, he is extremely so. I saw him do a live recreation uh, with Marissa Tomei. Actually, uh, it was a Norman Lear special where he played. They redid an uh, All the Family episode. Live in front of a live audience, and he played Archie Bunker. <laughs> wow! And, and whoa, he nails it. It's hard to imagine that Marissa Tomei is Edith, and the two of them together. I'm thinking, wow, this is. Where did you find that? I've got to find that. Uh, uh, we found it on some sort of a special. Uh, uh, just it was a Norman Lear retrospective, and Lear was in the audience. That he, he was he arranged. It. They did several of these. It's fantastic, and That's I thought. Who would imagine? I think you know Woody Harrelson. I made when you did the People versus Larry Flint. I thought I don't like you, 
And then he does this. He did uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. I'm thinking, holy crap. Woody, I apologize. I raise a glass to Woody Harrelson, a great American actor. God bless you, my friend. I never met you, but we love you. So anyways. So, and for me, in, in doing this research, I'm really this, attracted to this idea of being subversive in this kind Big of... Big surprise. Uh, of being a person who's subversive without being violent. Right, right. Uh, Standing up for what you believe is right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when it goes, even when it goes against, when it goes the, against the current the of the time. Yeah. And in one of his famous quotes is, "When you find yourself in the majority, you Standard. better stop and and rethink." Yeah. Right. So, uh, Robert, how about you, man? So, I think that, uh, and I think if we look back at our, uh, our our heroes, this is commonly true. Craft is is a great deal of it, but especially for those that are creatives, it is that ability to entertain mm-hmm. that oh. has often drawn us to them. Yeah, and because without that, how the hell would you know who they are? There's a lot to that. And it's not just the ability to entertain, but it's the ability to entertain and yet have somebody be able to marvel at how well they have been entertained. Some entertainment is so mindless that you know it doesn't matter because it's it's lowest common denominator kind of what yeah uh, words. And, uh, lowest kind of lowest common denominator kind of entertainment you know a sitcom may entertain for 30 minutes uh, but you've forgotten it half an hour later when you read Mark Twain you're going to be entertained for you know the hours or days to get through whatever it is and you will not forget it that's right. He's he makes a lasting impression. He makes a lasting he's that impression. Good. Yes, and he's just fun. You know, he's fun on so many different topics. He's fun to just I you know I could just sit there and read those quotes all day long. Mm-hmm. And it, he he's a fascinating character as well. Uh, the persona, obviously. Right. Yeah. Mark um, Twain yeah. versus Samuel Clemens. And it just. He's in many ways. He's uh, not just a great American novelist. He's the uh, a great example of that uh, rugged individualist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's is, what he meant when he comes when he came out with the, with that famous quote that I kind of we started with. He's not the, he's not an American. He's the American. Right. And that was late in he his is, life when he said that. You can make the argument he is the American, uh, probably in a more well rounded way. Yeah. Uh, just as John Wayne is the ideal man uh, of yeah. his age. Uh, American. Yeah. Because uh, you can also make that argument about uh, Sean Connery. Uh, you know, that man's man kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, though he's Scottish. Exactly. Which is why I say. That's right. Know, because we know if it's, it's not, not Scottish, Scottish, it's crap. But uh, anyway. So, yeah, just that ability to entertain. Even though I haven't read Huck Finn in, in probably 40 years. Yeah. It well, still has that lasting impression. I intend to go back to it. I read it years ago as well, and uh, I, I I was stupid then. I didn't understand the nuances. Well, yes. But I mean, anything you read when you're a teenager, you don't truly understand. But you see, that's the that's why I like Twain. It becomes formative. It becomes formative rather than what's the right word? Uh, confirmational. Right. It's, it's transformative, not confirmational. That's exactly <gasps> right. That's it. That's right. It's meant to change you. But. Even beyond that, what makes him great is, you know, you don't understand really the depth of what you're reading, but it sticks with you so much, you know, even 40 years later. Because think about, like I said, you don't understand crap when you're, when you're a teenager. You barely understand crap when you're in your 50s. Uh, hopefully a little bit more than when you were a teenager, though. Yeah. And the fact that these stories have stuck with us mm-hmm. for decades beyond their reading just points to the, the sheer quality, uh, the inherent quality and goodness of what he has written. Not goodness in the, the moral sense, but in the quality sense. It just so happens to have that quality of goodness. Moral. But it also has that right. moral... Uh, yeah. Speaking uh, mostly of his masterpiece, uh, yes. of, of Huckleberry Finn. That's so, uh, If you really want to know Twain, you just just read that one. I'm sure that if, I, if and when There's I go back to read ones. Twain now, I will marvel over his ability to write just as I marvel over... A King or a Hemingway or George R. R. Martin, absolutely, or anybody all, else. 
Yeah. Um, and his will be a unique experience. Right. Because it's, very different. it's a different style. You know, I don't, not too many of us read 19th century novelists anymore. But. Well, you know, some of them, you know, some of them, most of them deserve to be, but Twain is at the apex. He, well, he's, he's one he's that the is great eternal. white. He is something that should be read always. That's why I say it's, it's a, it's a damn shame. That to, to seek to remove him from school curricula. Yeah, now, I don't know of any examples horrific. where that is has been a big deal, but just by the nature of the language, you know it's not going to be taught. Yeah, uh, yeah. in the day and age, at the very least, they're going to skip over the one they should not, which is Huck Finn. That's right. That's that's the one. Is unfortunately, you have to do it as a whole because it is a whole. It it it, it doesn't make context is everything. You've got to read the whole book to really understand what he's trying to say. And in this day and age of the 10-second soundbite, most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah, You can't, you can't just that, pick a chapter. That They're going to hit that first instance of that name, of that word, and shut down. That's right, and they won't realize that... Snowflakes can't handle that. And, no, no. What's good for you and me ain't necessarily good for the weak-minded boys. That's uh, Augustus McCray. But anyway. Well, I always view Generation X... Is more gristle than snowflake. Yes, I think so. Well, you know, we are the gristle that strengthens that which surrounds us. Yes, Very we're, well we're hard to digest, but we and we're not going away. That's right. Our we're going to stick your ribs a bit. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, we can get. All right. All right, let's wrap this up, Captain. Uh, yeah, let's finish this out. What's next, man? Well, pop culture's next time, and Robert takes the con. Because he's the, he's the one that actually <laughs> asked for this one because we've done Frankenstein, which was my thing. Uh, we've done the vampire stuff, which we kind of all love, but you wanted to do a zombie. Well, zombies are so much part of the popular culture uh, and have been for quite some time. Right, but The Walking uh, Dead is really up that game. The Walking Dead really elevated uh, zombies to, uh, to, to prominence. And you can't talk about horror without talking about Zombies. Yeah, exactly. You really can't. Because so, it really does transcend the, the current mania with zombies. That's right. We'll talk a lot about all the, dare I say it, guts and brains of that particular genre next time. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of Eternal Questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms, and leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.